It's so convenient because you just say, hey, there's no objective standard of behavior. I would say, you are wrong. Look up here at this verse. John, chapter 8, verse 32. The truth will set you free. It does not say, listen to me now, a truth will set you free. Do you see that word T-H-E, the definite article? The truth. What truth is he talking about? The truthfulness of God's word. This is the standard. This is the measuring tape. This is what we're to live our lives by. Postmodernism says, there's no absolutes to which I say, are you absolutely sure? I mean, it's illogical to say there is absolutely no truth, so absolutely. It doesn't make any sense at all. And when you have no standard, you have chaos. Um, Not long ago, I watched uh, a documentary on television about the uh, history of the automobile in America. And they showed some old uh, footage of automobiles in New York City. And they're driving around like ants, going crazy, and people trying to cross streets. And it was chaotic, to say the least. And in the report, it said that like 50 people a day were hit by automobiles every day in the beginning. Did you know when you first bought an automobile, if you could afford it, you could drive it, there was no driver's license required. There were no stop signs. There were no red lights. There were no traffic police. And it was just crazy. And you watch that, you go, you wonder how we survived, man. It still looks like that in Bangladesh when you watch the even modern day traffic. It's crazy. But you got to have a standard. And in one day in New York City, it said 12 people were struck and killed. And they said, time out. <laughs> we, we need to have some standards. And the first signal light went in. It was just one red light. That's all it was. And then the, at major intersections, they started putting pol- or traffic cops that would direct the traffic. And then they put in sidewalks. And by and by, they standardized a driving test, and you received a driver's license. Aren't you glad we have driver's licenses today? Aren't you glad there's certain standards? Aren't you glad that there's not a law that says, you can pick and choose what red lights you want to stop at? You know, we'll give you three freebies a day if you're in a hurry. You know, you can go through it, but just three times a day. It would be chaotic if that was the rules. Well, God says, here's the rules. We don't want chaos. We want you to live a nice, healthy, normal life. Follow this. There is a standard. Postmodernism, people value tolerance, however, more than they value the truth. In fact, if you are truthful, you know what you're considered? You're intolerant. You're judgmental. You know, tolerance used to mean that you and I could totally disagree on something, and yet at the end of the day, we still treat one another with respect. That is no longer the case. Today, tolerance means all ideas are equally valid. And so if you believe that the moon is made out of Swiss cheese, and I believe it's made out of rock, I've seen moon rocks, by the way, those are not equally valid ideas. It's just ridiculous. If you think the world's flat and I believe it's round, it's it's not in the same camp. We've got to speak up when we come up against invalid ideas. I mean, what would you think of a doctor 
You went to a doctor and the doctor discovered a lump under your armpit. And the doctor says, oh, I don't think I should say anything because I might come across as being intolerant or judgmental. And I want to be nice and so I'm just not going to say anything to you about this lump under your armpit. What would you think of a doctor like that? You would think, man, that's mal, that's medical malpractice. That doctor should lose their license if they don't speak up and tell you the truth about something potentially dangerous in your body, right? And yet we as Christians practice spiritual malpractice every day just by not speaking up, not saying something because we want to be tolerant, we want to be quote-unquote nice. I think you can be nice and speak the truth, don't you? I didn't put it in your outline, but look up, look up later, Ephesians 4, verse 15. It says, speak the truth in love. Now this morning, I want us to look at five signs of truth decay in a culture. The first one is immaturity. When a culture becomes immature, oh, watch out. Immaturity happens when we give up on truth and we value tolerance more than truth. And what, is our, what direction is our country going in? Do we value truth or do we value tolerance? In many ways, our society is getting more and more immature. People are becoming less and less willing to accept responsibility for themselves. And many expect the government to take care of them. And so they will vote for whatever political candidate promises to give us the most free stuff. It's called socialism. And socialism actually works very, very good until you run out of other people's money. Can anyone say Venezuela? Venezuela, 15, 20 years ago, was a very prosperous capital capitalistic country. Uh, as a matter of fact, even today, they hold uh, probably the world's largest oil reserves. And under capitalism, they flourished. And then, and they had an upper class, middle class, lower class, and then someone said, well, you know what, let's move down and let's reverse this thing, and let's start taking the money from here and putting it down here, and people were loving it, and it worked great for 15 years. And socialism became the rule of the day, and now all the money's gone. A very rich, prosperous nation at one time, and the people are saying, we want something different. This isn't working out so well. And back and forth, back and forth, like children changing their minds. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, let us no longer be like children, forever changing our minds. And in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18, it says, A nation without God's guidance is a nation without order. Why is that the case? Because we're acting immaturely. The ability to know the difference between right and wrong is a mark of maturity. And so I need to ask myself, where am I being immature? Number two, a second sign of truth decay. Immorality. In other words, having no morals. Look at Judges 17, verse 6 here on the screen with me. In those days, this is back in the days of the Judges, 
Israel had no king. In other words, there was no one in authority. There was no one being the parent. There were no rules. There were no standards. There was no regulations. There was no, this is right and this is wrong. No one was saying that. There was no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. When you have a nation where everyone's doing what's right for you, may not be right for me, and what's right for you, and what's right for you, and yet everyone's doing their own thing, you have chaos. And it is a mess. And it leads to, well, I'll tell you what it did for Israel. It led them through 40-year cycles of they followed God, then there were no standards, they did their own thing, they fell away from God, and then God put them in judgment, and in judgment they repented and cried out to God, and then God would restore them, only for that whole cycle to start over again and again and again. Ephesians 4.19, this is what happens to a nation like this. They don't care anymore about right and wrong. And they have given themselves over to immoral ways. Their lives are filled with all kinds of impurity and greed. That sounds almost modern, doesn't it? So, here's how truth decay works. Every time you do something wrong, and you get away with it, it gets a little easier to do it again. And again. And again. And before long, a nation breaks down. And you start rationalizing. That is, you start telling yourself rational lies. And you lie to yourself. And so ask yourself, what am I trying to rationalize in my life? So you got immaturity. you got immorality. And thirdly, you got unreality. And that's when a nation stops believing the truth. I mean, you just buy into anything. Um, I'm old enough to remember the 80s when the New Age movement came into vogue. Do you remember the New Age movement? Does that even ring a bell with some of you? It was the big thing. And even Christians were leaving Christianity for this thing called New Age. And they were going to Sedona, Arizona, and uh, buying crystals, you know, for their power and their source and their strength. Let me tell you, a crystal is nothing more than a dumb rock, all right? You know who made that rock? The Creator. God made it. Worship the Creator. Don't worship the rock. Horoscopes, palm reading, tarot cards, all that baloney. You'll fall for that stuff. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. It's an illusion. 2 Thessalonians 2.12 says, Since they refuse to trust truth, they, they're banished to their chosen world of lies and illusions. So, what lies and illusions do you have going on in your life? The illusion that having more will make you more secure? You know, you can lose it all. Uh, I read a statistic that said something like 70% of lottery winners are flat broke within five years. 70%. You can lose it all. It's an illusion. The illusion of having more will make me more happy. Not true. This world is filled with millionaires and billionaires who are miserable. The illusion that having more will make me more valuable. No, your value and your valuables are not the same. You are valuable because you were made in the image of God. And because you're created in the image of God, and God doesn't make junk, 
he considers you very, very valuable. And when you don't value the truth, you find yourself faking it. So ask yourself, where am I faking it? Number four, illegality, immorality, immaturity, unreality, and then illegality. Proverbs 29, 18, when there is arrogance of God, what happens? Did I say arrogance? I meant ignorance. Crime happens. Crime runs wild. If there's no standard of right and wrong, I mean, what's right for you is not right for me, right for them, but everyone do whatever they want to do, then everything can be considered legal. I mean, when you argue the meaning of the word what is is, remember we went through a phase like that one time in our society? When people get off on little technicalities, that's the wrong direction for a culture. I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember the Enron scandal. Does that ring a bell at all? So I see some heads nodding. Okay, Tyco, MCI, all all kinds of corporations do this. But I'm picking on these three because these uh, I, I remember these. Um, Enron didn't start off doing all the corrupt stuff that led to their downfall. You know what it started off doing? Cheating on the edges. Compromising in little things. And once you start compromising in the little things, they get bigger and bigger and bigger, and then the whole thing goes pop. And the stock falls to the bottom when all the guys at the top got out seeing what was happening. And I remember the footage on the video on the television the next day where all these Enron uh, employees were carrying out boxes from their offices. They lost their jobs and they all had stock and they were all broke and many people got hurt. And so ask yourself the question, where am I cheating at the edges? Because you see, that is where your truth decay is. And then finally, injustice. It leads to this. There is no standard anymore. You can get away with anything if there's no standard. But what is our nation built on? We're a nation of laws. Are we, we're supposed to be. Equal justice under the law, right? Doesn't matter if you're rich. Doesn't matter if you're poor. You know, there should be equal justice across the board. Our, our Constitution is uh, for the people, by the people, of the people. But is that the reality? Is that the way things are going in our country today? Um, I think last Sunday I told you about uh, where California fell on the scale of uh, liberalism. And we are not nearly as liberal as a lot of people would think we are. We fall somewhere in the middle. And when the vote came up, do we want same-sex marriage or not same-sex marriage, California says, no, we don't want that. But a liberal Ninth Circuit court said, we know better than you, and we're overruling the people. The people that we pay to represent us no longer represent us. But this isn't just modern times. You can go all the way back to Isaiah's day. Look at this verse. Isaiah 59, 14. Our courts oppose people who are righteous. And that sounds modern, doesn't it? The righteous are trying to do the right thing, and yet the courts of the land say, no, we better know better than you. And justice is nowhere to be found. Truth falls dead in the streets, and fairness has been outlawed. Be careful, America. 
You don't want to go that direction. Now, if that's the damage of truth decay in our society, what's the solution? Here's the solution. You, Christians, men and women of God, need to reverse it. Me? Yeah, me, you, and me, together, getting back to the standard, holding up salt and light. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. What does light do? It illuminates. It shows what's right. You are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? It's a preservative to a society that would become corrupt without you. God is calling on you, Crosspoint. God is calling on you, Christians, men and women, to lift up the standard, to show the light in a society that is going further and further away from the truth. And postmodernism is asking the question, is there really any truth? To which God's word would say, absolutely. So how do I know what's true? Five things, quickly, here we go. Through creation. Through creation. All you've got to do is look at the world, and you can learn about God. That's why science is so important. You know, up to about 100 years or so ago, most scientists were believers. I mean, maybe they didn't believe in Jesus, but they believed in a higher being. They believed that design demand a designer. And the world is so complex that couldn't have just happened by random chance. Look up here at the screen. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, Paul puts it like this. For the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly what? Seen. You can see it with your own eyes. Look at this planet. How, how complex it is and the design in it. Being understood from what has been made, that's the earth, so that men are without excuse. Oh, I don't believe there's a God. Show me God, then I'll believe. He's showing you His creation. If you don't believe with that, you're not going to believe if you saw Himself. And many did. He came to earth in the form of a man named Jesus, and they still didn't believe. What do I learn about God from creation? I learned that God likes variety. You ever read the book of Genesis where it says God created? It could have said, and God created tree. One tree. He could have made one tree the fill in all the empty space in the world and fit and work in every climate if he wanted to, right? But God created trees. He likes variety. God could have created one plant, but look at all the varieties of plants he created. Did you know there are like 60,000 different varieties of, of beetles on this planet? And that doesn't even include John, Paul, George, and Ringo. 60,000. Do we really need 60,000 varieties of beetles? God says we did. What do we learn about God from creation? I learned that he's powerful. Just look at a volcano. Feel an earthquake like we do here in Southern California. See a tidal wave and the damage and destruction that can do. A hurricane. What I learn about God? I, I learn He's organized because design demands a designer, and we live in a very organized world that has design. The uh, morning, noon, night, winter, spring, summer, fall, 
the, the ecosystem, how the earth sets on its axis, all that stuff. God is a God of design. We learn a lot by looking at creation. Romans 1.19, the basic reality of God is plain enough. It's there for you to see it. If you just open your eyes, there it is. And so, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. God has given me too much evidence. You don't have to park your brain to be a Christian, folks. Examine the evidence of just this planet. God says, that will be enough to let you know that there is a God. And then through conscience, you know, you have a conscience. We are hardwired by God to know right from wrong. Don't you know it when you're fudging? Don't you know it when you're cheating? Don't you know it when you're doing wrong? What starts speaking to you? That little thing called a conscience. You know it. Romans chapter 2, verse 14 talks about it. Some people naturally obey God's commands, even though they don't know the law. The word law there, just think of that as the Bible. They, they, they don't have one of these. What about some native tribe, you know, somewhere in Africa that's never seen a Bible, never heard about God? The Bible says he's got a conscience. This proves that the conscience is like a law written in the human heart. And it will show whether we are forgiven or condemned. When our missionaries first started encountering tribes that had never heard about God before, they'd never seen a white man before, they found it interesting that these tribes had a law unto themselves, having never read a Bible. They knew it was wrong to steal, the Eighth Commandment. You did not steal another man's spear. And there was a penalty for that. They, they knew about the Seventh Commandment. You do not take another man's wife. Where did they get that? This thing called a conscience. It is a law written on the heart. Proverbs 20 verse 27 says, The Lord gave us mind and conscience. We cannot hide from ourselves. A number of years ago on the program America's Most Wanted, a fugitive who had been on the run for a number of years was finally apprehended. And when he got caught, you know what he did? He actually thanked the policeman that captured him. And they go, What's this all about? He says, you guys don't have any idea. My conscience was eating me up. Where did he get that? He got that from God. God gave us the conscience. And then we also learn about truth through consideration, the ability to think. You and I are unlike animals. We can think and we can plan and we can ponder. I remember the week before I went to college, uh, in Lubbock, Texas. I lived in Paramount, California, and I went out and I bought me a Rand McNally map. Do you, does anyone know what a, remember what a map is? I mean, in this day of GPS and modern stuff, you know, you just punch it in your car and you go. Well, we used to use maps in the olden days. It's like this book with, you know, freeways and highways and roads and stuff. So I charted out from Paramount to Lubbock, Texas. And you know what? When I followed the map, I didn't end up in Dallas. I didn't end up in Fort Worth. I didn't end up in Tucumcari, New Mexico. I ended up in Lubbock, Texas. And I probably did that trip back and forth to California a dozen or more times. And after about 
three or four times. I didn't even need the map anymore. Why? Because I had it in my mind. I had it in my heart. And in much the same way, this Bible right here is a map for you and me. And so we need to read it. At first, you may see, well, what does the Bible say about this? And, well, how do I get from here to there? But then you practice that again and again and again before long. You know the map. Well, another subject. What does the Bible say about this? This is our roadmap for life. We can consider it. Proverbs 14.15 says, Fools will believe anything, but the wise think about what they do. And so, ponder the Bible. Consider it. Think it through. Check it out. Make sure you're on the right path. John 3.33 in the message says, Anyone who examines the evidence will come to stake his life on this. That God himself is the truth. That's where it will lead you if you take the time and the trouble to check it out. And so I would suggest that you do that today. Examine the evidence. Number four, God's commandments, God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, every bit of it. Bruce, you believe every bit of this is true? I do. Why? Because all scripture is inspired by God. That means it's God-breathed. And it's useful to teach us what is True. You're looking for truth? You found it in the book. And makes us realize what's wrong in our lives. You go, oh, why isn't anything working out? Well, have you been following the map? Have you gotten off the path? It straightens us out. Oh, well, that's what I was supposed to be doing. And then it teaches us what to do right. It keeps us on the path. It tells us when we get off the path. It shows us how to get back on the path. And it shows us how to stay on the path. It's all found in the truthfulness of God's word. But it will do you absolutely no good just to read it if you don't apply it. And people who don't want to read it and who don't want to apply it have another agenda other than the one God has for them. They want to be their own God. They want to do their own thing. And then one final way to know the truth through Christ. And we're going to close here. Through Christ. 1 John 1.14 it says Jesus is full of grace and what? truth. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice the I in that verse. I is a person. That person's name is Jesus. Jesus is God personified. He is truth personified in the flesh. Muhammad said, I'm a prophet of the truth. Buddha said, I'm searching for the truth. Hinduism says, truth is very elusive. And Jesus says, I'm it. I am the truth. Now, here's the question. Are you going to believe that? Or are you going to draw conclusions that some people have drawn about this Jesus, that he was a lunatic, You know, some people say Jesus was a lunatic. You know, I mean, only lunatics claim to be God. And what would you think of someone that claimed to be God today? You'd say, oh boy, they're a lunatic. They sent some people one day to arrest Jesus. The authorities went to arrest him, but Jesus was preaching, and they thought something like, you know what, let's just give him a chance to preach. After he's done preaching, when the crowd kind of leaves, it'd be a whole lot easier to take him into custody. And so that's what they did. 
But after Jesus had finished his sermon, did they arrest him? No. And when they went back to the authorities, they said, Why didn't you arrest Jesus? Where is he? And they said, No man so spake. Lunatics ramble, and they're crazy, and they don't make any sense. And they said, This guy's no lunatic. Well, then was he a liar? You know, he's either a lunatic. No, that didn't pan out. Just look at his writings. Look at the Sermon on the Mount. Read that and say, are those the writings? Are those the words of a lunatic? No. Well, then he must have been a liar. Well, then you can't have it both ways because I've met a lot of people that say, I believe Jesus is a good man, but he's not God. Well, then he can't be both because he claimed to be God. He can't. He's a liar then, and liars aren't good men. I believe he was not a liar. I don't believe he was a lunatic. I believe he was Lord. It's a book out we had to read in college by Josh McDowell. Evidence that demands a verdict. You might want to pick that up. It's an old book, but man, it's a lot of good stuff in there. And if you take the time and the trouble, the evidence will draw you to draw the right conclusion that he was indeed Lord. But the decision is yours. There's no wiggle room. You're going to have to decide. Everybody's betting on something. I'm betting that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The atheist is betting there is no God. What are you betting on this morning? Let's talk to God about it. Let's all bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's go to the throne room and talk to God. And so what are you betting your life on this morning? Whatever it is, you better have a good reason for it. Would you examine the evidence about Jesus? It will demand a verdict. And I'm sure that if you take the time and the trouble to examine the evidence, you will draw the right conclusion that Jesus was who he claimed to be, both Lord and Christ. Maybe you'd pray this prayer this morning. You might say, God, I'm stepping across the line today. Jesus Christ, I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and I want that truth to set me free this very day. I want to spread that truth to all my friends and to others. I'm putting my trust in you today, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to sing a song here in a moment. I'm going to have you stand. As I mentioned earlier today, there's, before we started, there's going to be a baptism this morning, and If you prayed that prayer and if you said, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, here's your first step as a believer. The first step of every believer was to put their Lord on in baptism. They didn't keep it a secret. They went public with it. One has said, I want to go public today. Mike will be happy to baptize you into Christ. If you want to be baptized this morning, you may. As together we stand and sing, come forward.